Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. August 16th, 2023, episode 78. Uh, just was... Um, listening to some world geopolitical news stories and just thinking about the, uh, the macroeconomic and power politics dynamics at play at work, just the different priorities of um, the very predatory private military companies and self-interested Western elite superpowers and the bullying and the the cultural and, and political social engineering that happens with these puppet masters in control of such vulnerable and tactically disadvantaged populations at the mercy of this whole hierarchy of um, of forces fighting for the monopoly of violence and and this this very um, insidious dynamic where the 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 worst aspects of guerrilla warfare, not the ones that you want to put on a Che Guevara t-shirt and be proud of and raise the fist and go to the concert and be a, be a, a, a guerrilla hipster. <laughs> this is the other, this, the shadow side of guerrilla warfare. That's terrorism. That's the people that, uh, the suicide bombers and the people that put explosives on children and the people that are putting five mines per square meter on the battlefield well that's not even guerrilla warfare that's that's with a budget but all the ieds is a better example the ones where they don't really know where they are and they don't care about their own population and they don't care either even if they win they lose because yeah they gain the territory and now it's filled with ieds or mines depending on how guerrilla or how well funded they are Everybody loses, and because of the monopoly of the superpowers on military force and violence, it forces the most insidious, gruesome, horrific forms of guerrilla warfare to be able to retaliate and fight for... So just, yeah, right now hearing about Niger and the, the coup and this hostage situation, basically with the, uh, with the, the leader that's... I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna make any. I'm not even gonna put any tone on. I don't understand enough about 
about what's been happening there recently um, and who's working for who and whatnot. But um, but to have to retreat on site in whatever the palatial whatever it is to have to retreat into a safe room and make phone calls to Western Western countries to try to get help. Um, yeah, what a what a uh, just a this never-ending downward spiral of um, coups and engineering elections and setting up all. I mean, this is what's different for me today what am i what's how is this any different from just at least my entire lifetime of of either having this type of intrigue be romanticized by chuck norris and rambo or becoming more radicalized in starting to watch documentaries as a leftist and starting to really critique the intelligence community and the military-industrial complex and get very cynical about hypocrisies of who we, who we as, if I, meaning in my context, the, the, the power elite of the West, who do we, who's, defense do we come to who do we rescue it's it's a very uneven and hypocritical history of intervention in foreign policy and look no further than the great works of noam chomsky to understand a lot about that history the hypocrisy of it all the the propaganda and grandstanding about being the bearers of of democracy, but then all the hypocrisy and boondoggles and everything. So the only th- what's changed about me, what's different for me in this moment is that I'm not so delusional and bought into the orthodox left. And I'm more interested in the, I wouldn't call it the unorthodox right by any means, because that would that would that would be referring to something I do not identify with. But the disgruntled uh, ex-military veterans, people chewed up and spit out by the system, their own government system, their own veterans hospitals, that uh, they realized that they were used like pawns, and that they were part of an engineering process. And really, I don't need to reinvent the wheel about everything that was laid out and just sort of It's so weird, this this taboo about even referencing anything Marxist, but I think what's valuable about the legacy of the scholarship which I'm not an expert in, but I, I've studied enough of in my career as a leftist most of my most of my intellectual life, then there's certain 
social scientific truisms or axioms or whatever you want to call it, where, yeah, as much as we would take for granted the work of Adam Smith and works of all of the pillars of even ancient Western philosophy and political science, social science, and then more than oh, just that whole legacy, which I've also studied. For there to be, only, for basically, there's very few antagonists to counterbalance all the protagonists of things like the invisible hand and all of the economic theory and all of the everything that is pushing forward the myth of progress through hyper-industrialization and acceleration of all forms of technology and with no <laughs> no significant throttling of any of it at the expense of the climate of the planet. It's it's sad to me this taboo that we don't that there's not really a, there's not really a, a, an intellectually respectable framework that isn't just dismissed as Marxism or academic kind of leftism or whatever. It's either either you either you're the either you're the The Marxist, who's easy to dismiss, the Marxist leftist uh, academic, or you're the woke, disgruntled, intergenerational trauma, sort of reparations demanding thorn in the side where they have great replacement theories all about your movements for being heard and being being able to... um, exist and and heal and survive and hopefully thrive against the history of slavery and colonization. And then all of the best efforts of Western liberal democracy nation building are happening as boondoggles in other countries that are being leveled by the war machine so that corporations can can be lining pockets on the way in and on the way out, all of the weaponry used to level level the country and then all of the building contracts to build it back up in a way that's incongruent with the native tribal societies in many instances. So today, what was what's different, and there's nothing new about anything I'm saying right now. This is all stuff that hopefully any high schooler even has some sense about. Just this, these tensions between theories of capital, really, and the wealth of nations. To me, what. Uh, what was an acute kind of moment that that just shed light on 
this um, sad state of affairs connected some, some dots more than usual was just, I mean, what's going on in Africa right now, what's going on in Western Africa and all of the different forces at work to, to try to just do anything but liberate indigenous people from the yoke of industrial slavery. <laughs> Everybody wants to get in there, mine the resources, modernize the economies, get people working in factories, get people hooked on modern technology and modern medicine, destroy indigenous fabric of medicine, spirituality, language, ethnicity, And whether it's for jihad or for chip manufacturing, whether it's crime syndicate, crime syndicate, violent extremist terrorists motivated by religion and ideology embedded within the, the criminal syndicate underground in order to fight dirty shadow guerrilla wars against the competing not just western empires but eastern empires and at the end of the day well, what was also interesting now that I'm doing a lot of <laughs> the only the only face that I see anymore in my life even on my screen is this this Where's Waldo experience of Peter Zion popping in from hiking trails from all over the world. And uh, most of the time, I'll find people that have a YouTube channel and just to save on bandwidth and because I'm more of an audio person on the move anyway, I'll just subscribe to their pod feed and then listen to them rather than take 50 more steps to open a player and then use the, the right browser to have it be able to run in the background without without heating up the phone in the summer and all that stuff so but as far as I can tell Peter Zion's daily transmissions seem to not be bounced into an audio format and uh, so I get to see his <laughs> this Where's Waldo character and uh, yeah he's he's taught me a lot over probably the last year approximately and uh, one of the factors and I studied population ecology and one of the factors that he hammers on more than anybody else um, who's a prominent who you'll hear being interviewed across all the different shows that you listen to the, about what the hell's going on in the world from a, yeah, for anything from just geo, yeah, mainly geopolitics, but, but national security, geopolitics, libertarian economics and, and, uh, and, and, and then just this 
very apolitical kind of investor class, whether they're woke, SJW, triple bottom line investor class people, or they're just totally self-interested. They all have to rely on the expertise and the research done by people like Zion and, and company who understand population ecology, understand geography and geopolitics at a level of where you really have to be a nature boy like he is to actually care enough about landforms and bodies of water to factor in their importance in the wealth of nations and in foreign relations, geopolitics. Anyway, what I what's important about what I'm connecting right now is that just this, uh, yeah, this sad state of affairs where really the empires of the world, a lot of them, their population pyramid, meaning their ratio of of young people to old people, it's it's unhealthy. It's it's inverted in a way where there are very few young people coming into the population, and very in an overload number of people exiting the workforce, becoming a financial burden on society, needing to have entitlement and living on fixed income, their money and their wealth being extracted from the liquidity of the of the uh, financial markets, and therefore becoming this. this um, extremely burdensome force of collapse of the the world as we know it and certainly the the world order as we know it and so the 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 places on earth with the most it's not necessarily healthier on on any level to have the opposite where you have very few aging folks relative to to young folks but it's certainly it's an opportunity where anything could happen it's a it's a wild card factor if any if anything but more more reliably obviously the healthiest nations would have would have some stability and however you would however that would look as far as the shape on that demography chart it would have a solid base and it would have not a lop it wouldn't be lopsided and have a solid base but there will there would be eldership to guide all of the youth <laughs> that's probably the best way to simplest way to put it and what's crazy or what's what's sad and terrifying and upsetting is that the predatory forces that I enumerated earlier on are seizing upon the fact that in places like West Africa, there's an exploding birth rate that dwarfs the birth rate of more established so-called wealthier nations. So that human resource capital raw material in the eyes of the predators of the world religious ideological economic political etc 
they're the low-hanging fruit, these vulnerable people. And because of a lack of opportunities and weak states with a lack of public administration of any kind of health care, even if I don't maybe don't agree with some of it, just the lack of any of it, and certainly the, already the destruction of indigenous lifeways that would have had very sustainable natural medicine, natural healing availability, just have diaspora, refugees, urbanization, and then all these predatory forces coming in. So the potential to be low-hanging fruit for forces that would offer you as a young person in these distressed regions an opportunity for the pride of service, the uh, affiliation with a, a new tribe, basically a, a gang, but that appeals to that younger stage of life need to fit into a group. And so in the absence of resources and in the density of population, it's just ripe for recruitment for violent extremist organizations or for enslavement to foreign investors to be put into factories because it's not like you have your ancestral village land and even if you did just like what you see in that documentary about the man who stopped the desert I think is what it's called but it's about um, man it's been a while since I've seen it I don't know if I can remember the dude's name but He's the, the he uh, he's the man who was made famous by permaculture enthusiasts and humanitarians across the world for reintroducing an ancient method of farming during the drought to save and to restore and to replenish forest land and basically do food forestry by traditional African methods. I believe. I believe one term is the Zai method. I don't know if that's exactly the one that was nominal for what he was doing, but basically digging pits, filling them, or digging pits by hand, filling them with manure, allowing insects to kind of do their magic to naturally process uh that material so that when the scarce rains would come with a little bit of earthworks even making swales with rocks on the surface not even digging them but just channeling water whenever there was any of it to get moisture into these pits to to soak that manure and for there to be enough moisture for seeds to germinate and take hold with a little bit of shade in that depression and that would give them a head start to be able to survive the baking drier seasons and actually get a canopy up of of uh, of a new forest to fight the desertification and uh in that film you see at one point while he's doing this process across mass acreage mass amount of uh, ancestral territory that he had some form of legal 
uh, right to to dwell on and to cultivate, that there's a time when they come in and they start hammering in these survey markers, literally cutting through his project, like straight through the heart of it. And I, if I, I don't remember exactly how it got adjudicated, but I, I think there was a compromise that was bittersweet, but I don't think he lost as much as, as he could have or, or would have, but it was kind of like a banana republic eminent domain, what are you going to do about it kind of situation. Um, it's worth watching that. But that, but my point being that, uh, yeah, good luck going back to the land and being a traditionalist in the face of all of the different predatory forces trying to take a bite out of your territory and your youth and your leaders and yeah on, from every angle and the thing that uh to me if i'm going to always process information through a permaculture systems thinking framework it's not the most profound thought to have but obviously I've said it before many times and it's just intrinsic to what permaculture offers but I don't I don't I I guess I don't hear it enough or I'd like to hear it more and certainly in my own space my own forum I'm going to try to articulate this as many times in as many ways as I can because it's really the, to me it's like the most disappointing heartbreaking just failure and disjuncture in my own personal life in my own personal relationships it's been a pulling teeth kicking and screaming uphill battle to get even my most outspoken radical friends who are not adept hardcore permaculturists to understand that it's not just bullhorns and throwing rocks and protests and all the sexy militant posturing that makes a revolution. <laughs> it's it's the land base, it's the food productivity and food security, it's the medicinal aspect. These are all things that require going back to the land, wherever you are, urban, rural, suburban, wild. At every scale, seize the opportunity to become financially liberated by leveraging the intelligent design of the energy and nutrient inputs of 
the alchemy of the, the sun, the rain, and the soil, and seeds, and then all of, all of the interactions that, that that alchemy will then, will then foster. And the, the end result is that you're financially freer, if not totally liberated, for only the cost of your time and energy and some seeds and some tools, basically, because for now, <laughs> sunlight is free. There's messed up laws about rainwater harvesting. But even in the places with the worst rainwater harvesting laws about actually storing it, they can't stop it from falling where you are, whether it's on your apartment roof or your own property. You can put that water to work. You can slow it down as much as possible without technically storing it. So really, what I'm saying is that uh, the best things in life, the best things that, that are regenerative to life are free. And even the worst soil can be remediated almost for free with the right inputs and the right processes. The real scarce resource is time because to live healthy, to live free, to live happily, you don't need that much money. Biologically, you don't need that many minerals, that many calories, that much water. It's only the confusion of being addicted to processed foods that makes it very expensive to live, or the outsourcing of healthy organic food to boutique, very uh, non-efficient in terms of the economies of scale that make junk food cheap and health food expensive, you have to cut out a lot of middle people to get in a direct relationship with the free resources, the sun, the rain, the soil, your your time, which is scarce, but it, you don't have to... It's technically free, but it's kind of not because of how monopolized it is by the systems that you're embedded in that force you to be a wage slave if you're not independently wealthy, which I'm not but I broke free from wage slavery and I'm on my, I'm on my, basically my thir three, three and a half years of early retirement. Yeah, I, I called it financially free before 40. I made it on that list, but only because I'm in partnership with the elements and I know how to, how far, well, I'm, I, I, I knew to some degree how far I could push the limits of austerity <laughs> as a survivalist living off of preps and permaculture. But because I'm doing it now, yeah, the first year of that was like being in the womb of the Garden of Eden where I was spoiled with how well things were growing and how much plant, how many, the diversity of, of vegetation that I was surrounded by in this this coastal mountain jungle Eden, Edenic forest garden that I was 
rehabilitating and tending for for that year and then I, and then in a biblical sense i was in a way i don't want to say kicked out but i was forced out by circumstances out of that garden of eden literally into the barren desert because that was all i could afford to buy, to uh, of where i could buy land and maintain my status as being retired and not being a wage slave certainly as a adaptive strategy to avoid mass covid exposure and to this day i believe that i have a high probability of being novid covid virgin whatever you want to call it and i want to protect that and I'm not saving it for the right person. I'm, I'm trying to avoid it, period. And, I, and I've been willing to endure extreme, extreme conditions in the baking heat of the desert where things are hard to keep alive, including yourself. But it's pushed me to the edges in directions I wanted to go in anyway, which is fermentation living without cooking and refrigeration and just doing wines and brines that's how i get my that's how i preserve fruit and vegetables and that's how i'm able to feel in some ways better than ever in some ways worse than ever but i'm here and i'm still financially free into my 40s starting starting at the in the late 30s and now i i get to pontificate and philosophize about everything I know and about how it felt to be in traffic and to be have a check bounce and have you go hundreds of dollars snowballing into debt have to have to hide from your bank and go try to get into another one because you'll never pay that debt back yeah I've uh, suffered just about every form of indignity that you can in poverty, yeah, your vehicle gets towed and costs more than your entire cumulative net worth and a month's worth of paychecks to get it out. You have to borrow money. You feel like you're a burden to everyone around you. Yeah. The rat race, the hamster wheel. I had my little couple of little moments, but for the most part, Grinding poverty, wage slavery, and this is the most, this is where permaculture, this is where for, for, for me, yeah, it's life and death, but that's kind of trite. It's more like, there was, there's been times in my life where if you told me, this is a magic hammer, this magic hammer, it does one thing and it does it very well. It smashes the state and capitalism and if you just sit here and you spend all your time and energy with this magic hammer just smashing the the, the, oh, the church too the uh <laughs> the state capitalism and the church this magic hammer will pulverize all of it and you just have to do nothing else but stand here and swing it and you'll smash, and you, you, you just, you just take the, you, you have to put all of your energy and effort into it, and, and, and that, that would be me, there's times where I would just have inexhaustible supplies of energy, I wouldn't even have to sleep, I was like Tyler Durden, 
living in this limbo of insomnia, but there were times where I was in the flow, many times in my 20s where I felt like this is my time to seize the day, carpe diem, seize carpe noctum, and I would stay up all night. And mainly it was when I was in service to the community, building a community center and training up at-risk youth with gardening and survival and basically doing Green Beret type stuff without all the boom and bang. But squaring away the endage, teaching people how to become like the Zapatistas and as, and, and as for me idealistic and theoretical and sort of um, yeah as as much of a cultural appropriation kind of thing it would be for me to even say that the fact was that was the pattern that was the transmission I got from volunteering with people who are indigenous who are who have for my my the the uh i guess another way to put it is that the um i don't consider myself authentically of indigenous back to the land guerrilla warrior identity that's not me i'm i'm the i'm the the race trading settler white man who who is uh, who dropped out of the the white fabric of society and the and, and wants to be an operative with the subversion of white privilege and a lot of people of color have put me to work in that sense of being like yeah you're the guy who's going to drive when we drive through the southern states because we're all people of color and it's going to be a problem everything from stuff like that to using my education and my literacy from my white bread education which was only a few notches above white trash I didn't go to private schools I didn't go to Ivy League college but but I I did I did ha get to excel in certain areas grew up in a college town was exposed as a child to polysyllabic verbose academic discourse just by learning to play chess in a coffee shop of all of of uh, of all kinds of leftist intelligentsia grad students and whatnot so i was kind of primed i remember tugging on my mother's trench coat about knee high wanting to go do something fun and physical and play while she was having a discourse with somebody also where the conversation was happening literally about five feet above my head. and But now I'm grateful for it because I am I get to be the speechwriter for the... Uh, the, the, the I, I mean, it sounds funny, but it's actually quite, quite legitimate. I mean, I've been very well deployed as a copywriter, editor, speechwriter for voices within indigenous resistance that 
are very coherent and wise within their own context, but in order to speak the white man's language, I was an asset in that sense. So I just want to put out a couple of bona fides when I say what I'm aligned with and what I and how I how I know if someone once I understand, for example, once I first grokked the concept of a permaculture food forest, to me that was the ultimate tactical advantage as someone who understands white trash poverty with the with the with the uh, a sprinkle of, <laughs> of uh, hippie lefty intelligentsia that was my saving grace that's what kept me from being a total trailer park white trash tweaker toothless white supremacist worst of the bottom of the barrel of an Oregonian which there's a lot of sad to say despite all the natural beauty all the living tribes and all of the well-meaning hippies, the substrate of Oregon, if you're a white boy like me, in poverty is that you get funneled into white laces in your Doc Martens, shaved heads, flight jackets, curb jobs, and all of that extreme pathology, which I was exposed to and luckily evolved past mostly thanks to my my romance with women of color and people of mixed race in the punk rock movement kept me able to steer clear of those white trash white supremacist default patterns Yeah, I wasn't born an ally to indigenous people, but I was born into an impoverished life circumstance. And it didn't get much better over the years. It got worse. So to me, to be able to find liberation and empowerment in a system of understanding nature and implementing and mimicking patterns within nature, not just to be a utopian, peaceful, hippie gardener, farmer, although that's there for you if you want it, but to me the edge that I was most attracted to is just the prima facie, on its face, tactical advantage that you don't need mass acre you, you don't have to have a revolution to take over an entire country's agricultural system to to be a guerrilla warrior that lives off of of land where your ecological literacy makes you able able to survive like geronimo or like an army ranger but with the added effect that if you if you implement guerrilla gardening and you understand permaculture and you have ecological literacy from that perspective then basically you can be like macgyver swiss army knife and not just try to i mean yeah if you're doing hardcore primitive survival with nothing but cordage cutting and container tools and you're doing it as a sport or as a sort of 
hobby, great. But you're going to spend all of your time sitting over that trap, trying not to die. But if you're able to do things like grow multi-function, multi-yield, perennial, for example, sweet potato, you get a root yield, you get an edible leaf yield. To me, those are the the most tactically advantageous discoveries to make about perennial farming and gardening is things where you could go in and surreptitiously, through a clandestine mission, establish guerrilla garden and be like, I'm going to do a, a tactical operation sometime in the future, and when I have to veg up <laughs> to get a position against the target of opportunity, I'll be doing so where I'm just sitting there munching and and grazing while I'm rolling around and not making a sound or being seen or setting off tripwires or... <laughs> I mean, the idea that that the uh, the the special forces would be learning not only how to eat things that would make billy goats puke that are just whatever is there, but that they would be dressing up as peasant farmers. And even, uh, yeah, even one of my, my former Green Beret mentors said things about how you have to have basically a action cover, cover story. If you're Certainly if you're a foreigner and you're an operator in, an, in a host nation doing some sort of clandestine mission, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb and you're going to get interrogated by local security forces. Even the most simple thing of carrying a shovel will just give them the sense that, oh, you have a reason to be there. You're just obviously, you're just a poor ass broke ass peasant farmer worker whatever because you have a shovel in your hand and that's like this golden cloaking device that gets you through hostile territory to perform your operation where you're going to go slit the throat of a target of opportunity and 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 save save the day uh to, to liberate the oppressed you know whatever it is but yeah to me that's brilliant and there's so many ways in which the wisest within the military are already implementing these things, but just in a immature way relative to how mature it could be if they really understood permaculture. So not trying to get too much into the weeds of the tactical stuff. What the, I really want to express is the time factor and this notion of the machine fighting the machine because with permaculture you can liberate yourself, your community, you can be a guerrilla gardener and with a very small budget partner with even the smallest access to land, even containers, even in a balcony, with the, even without light you can be sprouting in jars you could be surviving in a permaculture way in a foxhole there's so many ways to partner with life fungus and sproutables that produce vitamin c military's already experimented with that kind of stuff 
remote outposts away from any ability to grow fresh vegetables. They've worked out germination, sprouting, what I call survival sprouting. That was part of my research when I was, that was a key piece of my survival instruction career path before I was retired or semi-retired about 10 years ago. That was a part of every presentation. What it comes down to is that the only excuse, I wouldn't say there's no excuse not to study permaculture. A lot of it is financially out of reach, but a lot of it is not if you know where to look. And I'll just leave it vague like that, but... Seeds are cheap. Permaculture education, thanks to all of the free media, not even the pirated works of permaculture, but just materials like the ones that I produce that are freely available and that teach permaculture. In a visual way, in a verbal way. you can afford the course if you can find an affordable 72-hour design certificate course by all means if you critique it because it's a pyramid scheme <laughs> multi-level marketing pyramid scheme for the elite so that you can join the the country garden club or whatever i hear that and i've been a force to hack and liberate the pdc since day one and the way that I earned my certificate was in itself hacking the permaculture design course that was I got my certificate for here you get your permaculture design certificate for and your your class your your class project your your design project that is your final project for the course is that you recursively hacked the course in order to get the certificate <laughs> that's i've told that and i've told that story before in another another format maybe i'll do it again someday but fact is there's no excuse there's very little if any anymore financial excuse not to become tactically advantaged through permaculture because you can learn it you can master it you can apply it it doesn't it doesn't have a huge startup capital in fact, it's antithetical to that. It's about partnering with the exponential power of biology in partnership with the elements. And that's something that is very difficult for the very bl blinded to that power, the, the way that the system and its minions are. They don't, they may be trying to fight water wars and keep us i mean there are ways to filter water naturally there's all kinds of techniques that require a little bit of macgyvering but now i've got 457 videos on youtube that that are me saying to my self my past self over the course of my career in this movement a lot of them are, a lot of them are, I'd say about something, yeah, some, a, 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 a large percentage of them were still photographs 
that I added a little bit of a documentary style animation to, you know, the way that uh, you see an old time black and white photo. And obviously it's not film, it's not a movie, it's not a movie clip because it was just a still photograph. But in order to keep the documentary form flowing, they would just slowly zoom in or slowly pan so that it f you feel like your gaze is moving and that there's motion. It's a motion picture, but it's a still frame. So basically, I I made some actual very, rep or very respectable slideshows that have that effect where it'll be the process of building something. But I also took just a lot of still images from over the years that I had. And I said, you know, this is a better home for them than other platforms where they just get buried in the in the noise and they never really get um, archived and, and, and in a way that they're accessible. As long as I stay on good terms with this platform, well, with YouTube, um, and I, I did back everything up so that if we ever have a falling out, it won't be all a waste of energy. I made sure that I have everything backed up. So it can be redeployed if ever necessary. But for now, the accessibility of my entire archive of everything that piqued my interest, everything that was a highlight moment, where it's like, this is the permaculture design manual brought to life by my hands and my will and my passion, either by myself or in a crew of my friends as volunteers or on a job site. But when I say no excuse or, or, or limited excuse, everything you see of mine, well, most of it is low and no budget, and it, and it screams that when you look at it. But then you'll see me working on West Side, Malibu, Beverly Hills properties when I'm working on crews, and then you see some of the more high-end high -end stuff. But that was not out of my pocket. That was me getting paid to spend other people's money to do that. But it was a good balance in my as far as my career goes. But my point being, this is about fighting time and fighting this time machine, the thing that even if you discover, like I did, the, po the potential of having a revolution that has... <laughs> where you don't have to sell out to any other foreign nation to back you because your kinetic force is about root hydraulics, meaning trees breaking through concrete sidewalks are far more sustainable, improvised, you-know-what devices. If you're trying to make cracks in the empire that's making you a slave, you're going to be more successful partnering with life to do that than partnering with death. So I, I believe very strongly that uh, the cost is not the main issue. The main issue is time. And in order to reclaim time to be able to learn, master and apply the tactical advantageous tactics and strategies of permaculture, it's time that is the excuse that's remaining. And... Ironically, paradoxically, paradoxically, recursively, whatever, however you want to put it, the source 
of time freedom, the redistribution of time wealth. It comes from systematically hacking away at the bills of fiat currency legal tender that you have to trade your time for to acquire that monetary value to trade for the grocery bill and the doctor's bill and the gym bill so there is a there's a in the in the what was his name will he had a cool name it was like I think his first name was Will. His last name was really cool. I can't remember it, but there was a for a for a long time it was free online. A I think a university in North Carolina permaculture full PDC course that was free and online that they were making available online. I don't think it's still available in the format that it was from the university itself. Will Hooker. That's <laughs> that's what his name was, <laughs> but it's great and I have it backed up. He's like a bamboo wizard, and he really set me in motion with that. But what was I going to say about it? Um, damn, what was there so much from that? Now I just got lost in my bromance with how, how badass he was in, in that. In the, oh, the Paradise Gardener. So they take a field trip with that, with that class to a guy who I can't remember exactly his name or where he was, but he but he was defining the Paradise Garden. I believe it was useful plants, a botanical garden of useful, of useful plants ornamentally arranged, something like that. I may be missing one element, but basically he created this, basically like a parallel definition of permaculture that wasn't so awkward. And he called it Paradise Gardening, so good for him. So, and that was, and I may, I may not have had that exactly verbatim the way he put it, but, but the points being, doesn't have to, people think, oh, permaculture, you mean ugly because it looks like a jungle and it doesn't look tidy, where Bill, Bill Mollison calls, says, uh, tidiness is maintained disorder. So most landscaping, the way they trim, the way they trim bushes to, <laughs> in, into shapes, you know, absurdity of that, just energy wasted, gas powered landscaping tools polluting the neighborhood with noise and smoke and poisoning the soil with all that grease and gas just dripping out of these chainsaws and trim <laughs> mowers and just what a nightmare, what a nightmare of maintained disorder to have tidiness. Whereas if you do the maintenance by hand with hand tools, it's quiet, it's clean. You chop and drop the mulch and you're cycling nutrients and you're the most important element in the system and you feel very... That's why I go back to... So let me get back to what, what was said in that Paradise Garden thesis. It doesn't have to be ugly. Things can be ornamentally arranged. It's a botanical garden. We're doing horticulture here. Hand agriculture or agriculture is is machines and animals horticulture is human hands so we're doing horticulture in a in a permanent fashion using perennial crops mostly 
but it's botanical, it's botanical gardening, ornamentally arranged with useful plants. And useful is usually the word that's used to span food, fiber, fodder, meaning, and medicine. So we're not just growing food crops, we're growing medicinal plants, we're growing fiber, i.e. trees and plants that can be used for making clothing and other implements, but timber, clothing, fibers, right? Growing fibers. That's part of permaculture zonation theory. Fodder meaning you're growing, grazing food for ruminants and other animals in your system where you, you can't eat it, but if you can, if a goat can <laughs> turn inedible brush that grows as abundantly as weeds, but you can't digest it, but a goat or other ruminant can transform that into something that's highly nutritive for you, and that's a that can be a great partnership. It's not what I'm doing right now, certainly not appropriate for this site at this moment, um, but I do understand it. I understand the efficiency of it and how if you were a vegetarian or vegan and you're, you're succumbing to the mythology that um, ethical partnerships with near free and wild semi-partially domesticated I mean there's a big difference between CAFOs and what Joel Salatin for example would be doing where where his chickens are able to express their essential chickenness and for all intents and purposes they're living a better life and 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 there's there's really no uh, or, or really as as little as as necessary as little as possible sense of it being like a a prison colony but that's a, that's a whole other debate a whole other issue but i will say that uh yeah it was very clear in the permaculture designers manual it was not no punches were pulled for bill mollison to say that cereal grain and legume crops the staples of vegetarians are the most environmentally destructive disaster of agriculture because it's annual crops it's one layer of height in a flattened ecosystem a simplified and reduced ecosystem it's one yield one layer it is the antithesis of ecology it's the antithesis of food forestry agroforestry so back to the paradise gardener what he says is that uh think of all the bills that i don't have to pay when i'm doing paradise gardening i don't have to go to the gym I don't have to go to the doctor. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm trying to enumerate from memory what he listed off and why it's such a a game changer in terms of the psychology of fighting the system for getting your time back. And it's like, yeah, it's easy going back to the very beginning. It's easy to dismiss Marxian redistribution of wealth. The forces aligned against you, the monopoly of violence, men with guns. You talk about reparations, redistribution of wealth, regulations on business that serve the people and the planet, taxing the rich. That's when you're going to end up with bludgeons of the state, rifle butts and truncheons. This is state control. Your head will be cracked and you will be neutralized if you talk about 
financial wealth redistribution by by riot or by ballot, whatever. You're not going to achieve that. You'll be co-opted by the... the war pimps of the left, all the uh, Glenn Greenwald's analysis. If you, if you uh, dumb it down to the reformist, pseudo-leftist establishment of the left wing in politics, or you will be poisoned and toxified and trampled by the warrior cult of the political establishment of the right. Either way, you threaten profits of the, the bosses or the donors or both. That's kind of how the show is run. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time with that kind of boogeyman BS. I'd rather spend my time paradise gardening because that's where the real power is. That's where the real leverage is. That's where it doesn't matter so much what they say and what they do at the top if I'm not fighting over the scraps of their handouts and their trickle-down economics, and I'm, I'm not just grassroots coming up, I'm, I'm sweet potato roots <laughs> coming up. But trying to enumerate from memory the list of the Paradise Gardener, think about all the bills that you now get to eliminate just by living in and from and through the garden now I don't have to go to the gym. Now I don't have to pay the gym. Now I don't have to go to the grocery store. Now I don't have to pay the merchant. I don't have to pay the farmer. Now I don't have to go to the shrink because I'm getting meaning and purpose and nourishment and healing and therapy from the process mechanically of gardening and then spiritually and emotionally of the connection to life that is gardening and the purpose and meaning and utility the 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 antidote to existential malaise i got to get up because there's a trillion forms of life that exist only because of me and my partnership with the elements and that depend on me to be a functioning member of that ecosystem that's my reason for getting up every day and that's what puts and keeps the smile on the face and the cold steel out of the mouth. <laughs> and that's basically free. It just takes time. So what did Daniel Quinn say? Population begets agriculture, agriculture begets population growth. I can't remember what it was, but basically it was a sort of social science, dismal, dismal science of uh, agricultural kind of doom that he was famous for with Ishmael, the works of Ishmael. Um, something to that effect of, in a positive sense, through permaculture when well their permaculture and time actually is what I should be dropping here was with Jeff Lawton one of the most one of the most impactful 3D animated very polemical rants of the 
the warrior energy of permaculture where you, instead of dying many deaths in a corporate office job every day, you only have one death to fear in the final fight that is you against all of the systems of domination of nature where you retreat to your permaculture abode and you live in a different parallel dimension where time is abundant and you feel suddenly very secure as opposed to very insecure. These are some of the lines that I remember. But permaculture and time, the way that that is, it's, it, it, to me, that's like the matrix, that's like the more, the, mo the most Morpheus to Neo type of experience that you'll get in permaculture. So far for me, nothing has topped that. The permaculture and time video with Jeff Lawton, which is animation. To me, that is as, if no, far more potent and then the then then the the hair raising haunting unforgettable genius of that sequence where where neo is first brought into the the rebel matrix program framework where morpheus in this very cryptic manner starts to be do the 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 Mr. Miyagi, Zen master, I'm only I'm going to lead you through this process of inquiry to answer your own questions and and give you leading questions. Or, but that was very powerful, I think, for everybody. You, we all want that Morpheus, and for some people, it's going to church and Jesus, and some people, it's their favorite right wing pundit talk show host or whatever wing, but they want that Morpheus. And uh, I don't want to put anybody on a pedestal, but I will say I do live for that sort of cinema. Even if I don't want to be like somebody's apprentice in real life or to be, just exalt any human above their humanity. I don't think anybody smart really wants that. But in terms of In terms of fighting back and fighting in a war of resistance and liberation, yeah, you do need training and you do need to have you do need to have mentorship. So for me, nothing beats the only thing. The, I guess I put it this way: the only thing that beats Morpheus waking up Neo for me is the permaculture and time video, which itself, second for second in terms of potency the entire permaculture design course to me is not it is is filled with potency and power but the concentration the density of it to be found something that's really pivotal that will move people into action and really put that stark contrast up to me it's that permaculture and time video but this is my whole thesis right now is like now i I'm still on a razor's edge of survival between me and the harshness of the elements of nature where I'm at. But I also know that I came from the most forgiving womb, Garden of Eden, year-round fog in the desert of the California mountains. But in, in, it was just like the ultimate sweet spot, the ultimate most fertile, hospitable. To, I'm in the most hostile to life place that I could be probably 
almost imaginable within my country. There are a few least hospitable to life places to be doing permaculture. I went from the most hospitable to the least. But I believe it was part of my hero's journey, at least for my own narrative of my life. And I did endeavor. I set the intention, careful what you wish for. I said, I want to I want to master, I've been trained to implement permaculture. So if, 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 the, if, if the SEAL teams are geographical based, that the numbers are based on what region of the earth that they're trained to and adapted and acclimatized to be able to operate in at a moment's notice, and the same for other, the way, they, the, way the military carves up its teams is that they're deployable, that they're trained for jungle, for desert, for maritime, for mountain, et cetera, et cetera, urban, whatever. And of course, there's a lot of overlap depending on what they need for the, to get the job done. My favorite former Navy SEALs characterization of what it's like to be on a SEAL team is he said, best way I can analogize it basically is that it's like being a a NASCAR racer pit stop team. Everybody knows their job. They get in, they do it as fast and as efficient as possible. Like professionals, like surgeons, they get out. And I'm going to add this because I don't think it was exactly what it, it wasn't the follow up. It wasn't the conclusion, but I would say, yeah. So what's the, so if that's the, if the, if the SEAL team is the pit stop crew, then what's, who's the driver and what's the car? Well, on its best days, that's the spirit of democracy, right? That's like the car that they're doing the pit stop service job on as the Navy SEALs is is the 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 heart and the spirit and the soul and the the embodiment and the the sort of the car is is the sort of uh is the vehicle of that spirit of democracy, which, yeah, relative to dictatorship and autocracy and oligarchy of all the corruption of democracy that there is, the spirit of it, which is what I believe a lot of the people in the military really sign up for when they sign and give their oath, they're supposed to be the least partisan and the least partial to the leaders. And it was well said in that film Snowden, you don't have to be, you, you, don't, you can be critical of your leaders and still be a patriot, basically. In fact, you're probably the better patriot than someone who's highly partisan, but I digress. Bringing a full circle and coming to a close, the idea is that every for every inch, for every second, for every, yeah, let's just say for every, for every second of time, you apply yourself to learning, or for every second of time, you steal away from the time machine of the system, and then you apply that. It doesn't have to take away from your love life. It can, for me, it was... <laughs> to me, the permaculture romance with nature was the reason, the, the, the love of women, the love of, of partnership, that was the reason. I, I called it designing for the women, the woman in you and the woman you want on you. That's what that, to me, that was 
having my cake and eating it too. The, mo the most beautiful gardens that I ever made were the ones where I was the loneliest and had to do the peacocking thing to attract women, and it always worked. So if you want to be even cynical about it, it's just a win-win. And it's fish in the ocean will create little... They'll create little garden monuments in the sand to attract mates. It's very natural to do this across species, across all life. It's very, very evolutionary. It's not cynical. It's not sexist. In fact, it's the opposite. It's what we should be doing, not beating each other's heads in in macho man contests for violence, but actually being the warrior poets who actually grow gardens that woo women if that you know so to me it's like when i say steal away the time it's not like you have to become a monk or or a hermit and say oh i'm de dedicating myself to permaculture so that i can have time and then that time is going to compound and the freedom is going to compound and eventually i will be able to say i'm financially free before i'm dead at least for me it was financially permaculture allowed me to become financially free not just permaculture, there were other things, you know, there were other factors, luck and skill of various types, but I would say that it was, I mean, no, yes, I had a financial windfall through skill and luck, but it would have been, it would have been evaporated in months if I would have bought that Lambo and moved into that high-rise condo or done whatever I could have done with that money at that time and just burned it by playing the game of the system. Instead, I re rebalanced my portfolio into regenerative infrastructure. I bought land, I bought a farm truck, I bought seeds and water storage capacity, and now I'm able to survive a bear market with a significant majority core position of of assets appreciable assets can come back at any time given any hype cycle and it was only that training that allowed me to go into the bush and veg up and lay low and be in austerity and be cut off and stop spending money so there's buy nothing day i'm coming up on my first buy nothing year that's the permaculture that bought me time. And I was able to steal away, steal away time. And during my days of chasing girls, believe me, I, I applied myself to making a romantic affair out of every garden. And it was the, the background and the, more than the background, it was the, it was the living, breathing, theater better said it was the entire theater of the most of all of my most significant romance of my life sharing that experience with a beloved or more this very moment i'm doing it in very lone wolf austere circumstances but that probably won't last forever certainly is not the pattern of my life pattern of my life is attracting gorgeous mates in the words of timothy leary it's the optimist who attract who attracts them it's the optimist who is able to achieve attracting the most attractive mate if that's what you care about i think attractive is not skin deep attractive is 
is an algorithm for me. It's a number of factors beyond skin deep. But, and it's in the eye of the beholder anyway. So, point being, <laughs> yeah. Every inch that can be permified, every minute that can be permified, it's compounding. And if you give permaculture an inch of space and a minute of time, it will, it will compound favorably in that it will liberate more time that will compound it will it will make edible and medicinal and otherwise botanically useful and in many other ways useful functionally useful across space so the space-time continuum then becomes rich in freedom and in food security and every other form of true wealth and it doesn't require a violent revolution doesn't require easily dismissed Marxist theory of wealth redistribution through taxation or reparations or otherwise it just requires some painful transitions for example for me the secret to my success crapping you not was being so versatile as a macgyver permaculture swiss army knife that i could do my i could work on the in malibu and beverly hills doing permaculture while sleeping in my trunk to hide from the from the boys in blue and the gals in blue and save money by not commuting and save time by spending using a solar panel on the roof of my car and a marine battery on the roof rack of my car to compute at night after hours to build my brand and to develop myself financially so that I could eventually break free from doing permaculture for west side clients and I could own land and do it for myself finally before I'm too old to do anything and too used up and crippled to do anything by the fact of having to work those long shifts even if it's doing what I love if it breaks my back it breaks my back which it did it breaks a lot of other things along the way so what's left of me physically to work my own land hey all I can say is that I'm glad I was able to start before 40 and, I, and rather than 65 or 70 or whatever the age <laughs> whatever happened in France and whatever's happening here where they kept keep kicking a can and entitlements won't even be enough anyway because of the inflation tax so yeah not waiting for the golden years to do this because I need to apply what little I have, every drop of that time and energy has got to be applied to catching up on the decades, the generations, the thousands of years of social and ecological fabric on the land that doesn't exist here where I'm starting in the desert wasteland, ghost town, <laughs> from scratch, a process that was began a million or two million years ago by our ancestors of actually learning how to live on and with the land and in balance with all of life and to become a friend 
to all life without enslaving it and without enslaving others. So, that's my 4 a.m. to 5.20 a.m. trying to kill time in, in the last quarter, the last month of the summer where I wake up in the middle of the night and wasn't even barely able to sleep anyway and can't get back to sleep. So that's how I'm going to be transmitting. This is as good as it's going to get temperature-wise, and so it's a good time to put to use some of that free time I have and, and just definitely say I will, I will say this as a moment of celebration where I feel like spiritually there's a deep shift in that I honored all those photographs and all that video footage that I took by polishing it up a little bit, presenting it, going through the process of maxing out the hundred word title character limit in many instances so 457 videos many of them maxed out to a hundred <laughs> letters in the title describing my bona fides like what I have done in the name of permaculture over all these years so that my curriculum vitae my portfolio my resume speaks for itself and now I can move on into the future from the present knowing that my museum of my past works is it's all there and I'm taking it a step further on my actual website where literally all that same material is going to live as photo galleries with articles and memoirs wrapped around them so that anything that's worthy, not just a picture being worth a thousand words, sure, every picture's worth a thousand words, but I'm going to focus on and prioritize the teachable moments where there's a story to tell about what was going on. And I'm going to kind of bundle them up as well, which is great, so I don't have to... <laughs> Otherwise, it'd take me forever. But that's maturing. So if you care to help me, now there are three three platforms that I feel like are appropriate for me at this time with my interest in disengaging from <laughs> over-engagement with human beings on the internet. All my YouTube videos have comments disabled. I'm not trying to get in debates. I'm not trying to play games with how I could have done it better or whatever. If someone wants to communicate with me, follow the link to my website follow the contact link we can have a private conversation because we're not trying to impress anybody and clout chase on the internet i'm too old for that not interested in that waste of time and energy and for the people who it works for and it's not a drag more power to you it's not me so that's one place you'd be doing me a favor by perusing subscribing liking sharing etc appreciate it Patreon is where I'm making myself available in a in a uh, uh, as a pseudo consultant, as it were, uh, putting some services on there that are that are kind of putting me within a a shield of liability protection, the way it's formatted. But that's a way to contribute financially, keep me 
keep me financially free, uh, uh, no matter what the financial markets are doing, help keep me financially free, able to do what I'm doing by by getting on there and subscribing even a dollar a month or whatever <laughs> helps. There's perks involved. And then the other platform that I feel like is the more appropriate home that's less dramatic and less uh it's just more more seems more more tasteful and mature is pinterest because it's really about it's it, it, to me it's a pure sort of <laughs> like when you go in an art gallery and it's not supposed to be a drunken debaucherous free-for-all frat party that's what i feel like that's to me as there's between other like other to be unnamed shall be unnamed photo posting platforms feels like a frat party with a lot of toxic one-upmanship and a lot of posturing a lot of superficiality whereas to me the, the an alternative to that is the experience of Pinterest where it feels more like you're going to a museum or an art gallery where people are sober, behaved, and they're there for the purpose of beholding the art on the walls in a contemplative manner on their best behavior. <laughs> so at my age, I, you know, I could have predicted like, you're going to be a social climber, you're going to be a clout chaser, you're going to have to elbow, sharp elbow your way through social media to get financially free but then once you're over it and you're not chasing girls you're not chasing clout and you're not chasing people to stroke your ego and you're not you don't care to put other people down and put yourself up you're going to evolve past the immature social media platforms and you're going to move in a direction and yes it makes sense to me in the arc of life we will all age to a point of maturity where we appreciate the the taste and the the culturedness and the appropriateness of, a, of an environment online, a, a community online that has the that has the uh, the decency of of a Pinterest versus uh, any any number of platforms that I could list, where the crude, rude, derogatory, selfish, myopic psychology of teenagerism which has its place in time and we all got to experience it but that's not a, that's not a chapter that I want to relive to be perfectly honest with you I like the fact that getting old reconnects me to my prepubescent self in the arc of menopause where the joy I got from building model train sets is the joy that I get from building gardens now and that total absorption into getting in the zone of working with your hands and doing something beautiful that's not just standing around at a bar or a club drinking and talking and being disconnected from anything productive and having there be no real fabric of being social and getting shit done and working the land I never yeah <laughs> other secrets of my success i didn't i i, I spent maybe 0.01 percent of my income at the bar across my entire 
drinking career. That's one factor. And uh, <laughs> what was it? Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk says, "Well, yeah, where where you're while you're partying partying at the bar with your." chasing girls or whatever i'm crushing your business <laughs> i'm not saying i'm crushing anyone else's business that's not my intention and it's certainly not what's happening at this point i'm not even really crushing my own business but i'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other but i'm certainly not being sucked into that social vortex that is a waste of time so hopefully you're 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 interested in permaculture you're you're interested in paradise gardening you're interested in the tactical advantage and that's why you've made it with me to the end of another episode cheers